Hello everybody, and uh, thank you for watching and welcome to Crossing Darkness. This is Season 2, Episode 9, How Do You Do That Magic? Um, we are broadcasting over Twitch on Sundays 7pm to 7.30pm, and are open with uh, chatting with fans during the show. I'm your host, Frozen Fallout, and my co-host is Mike, also known as Motorori, um, who has stuck with me through the creation of a 40-person, uh, four-table Gen Con event um, prior to uh, doing podcasting and some other um, things with me, um, and I'm uh, really surprised that he stuck with me not just once, not twice, but three times that we, we did this, uh, you know, 40-person, four-table event at uh, Gen Con. Um, so how's, uh, how's it going, Mike? How's your week been? Uh, well, it's been less stressful than when we ran those games. <laughs> uh, but also less less fulfilling, because uh, that was a fun time. Um, other than that, I go to work, and then I come home. And I try to work on gaming stuff. Awesome. Um, so today we're going to be taking a deeper look into how um, one uses magic in the mage system. So we already had an episode, um, our last one, that kind of went over the spheres of magic and the paradigm, and we kind of had a, a little bit of a look at uh, how um, you would create a... Um, oh, I'm sorry, what was this? What's the guy's name? Shoot, what was the uh, Wick? John, John Wick. Wick. Yeah. Um, so you, uh, so we kind of went over and talked about uh, John Wick and what kind of spheres that he would need, and also about how his paradigm greatly limits what he can do with his spheres. Um, and oh yeah. So um, we did do like an after show as well. Um, that's just on uh, Twitch. That. Uh, kind of goes over a little bit more in depth into the John Wick uh, paradigm and spheres that he would have. We kind of just touch base on it during the podcast. Um, so today we're going to kind of go a little bit deeper into the um, concepts of magic and how do you do that. Um, there's a book specifically called How Do You Do That? Um, that was released with the 20th anniversary edition of books that came out for Mage the Ascension. And um, it kind of gives you a little bit of a deeper um, look at the rule base for um, doing specific magical feats. Um, so, Mike, do you want to go over the little blurb about uh, what, how do you do that says about the, the opening for the... Oh, yeah. Uh, how do you do that? The question echoes through four editions of Mage, the Ascension, often with good reason. Mage's greatest rules-based asset, its flexible, personalized magic system, can also, bluntly speaking, be a royal pain in the ass when you're trying to translate sphere ranks and ret levels into, I turn him into a newt, how long until he gets better? We present this book in an effort to minimize the headaches when your mages warp the fabric of reality. That's, uh, that's pretty concise, and... Uh, it definitely brings up the the frustration that many people have when they jump into mage. 
Yeah, Mage is one of those games that it has an extremely flexible and loose magic system that um, really leaves it up to the GM and the player to work together and decide on what the limiting factors of your character are going to be outside of the the base rules that they give you. Um, and And then even if you go off of just the base rules that they give you, they don't uh, until really this book, I feel like they didn't concisely put together a book that was it, because this isn't rotes or, you know, because they kind of seed those throughout a lot of books and they kind of go into deeper explanations of, of what you can do with a magic system, um, usually in a rote based explanation. Um, but rotes are really tailored to the, to the paradigm. Um, and so this gives you like a break from Paradigm and says we're just going to throw Paradigm out the window. For the most part, they do touch a lot on Paradigm because it is such a huge influence on the system. Um, and we'll go in, into some of those uh, optional rules and stuff that they talk about regarding why Paradigm would be such a huge influence on what spheres you'll actually need to perform something. Um, and in the end, usually not that big of a detriment to the player because usually the sphere that's like added in is part of their pair like for example shamans and stuff that need to use spirit magic to do a bunch of stuff might need to have spirit magic or uh, the spirit sphere included in a lot of their magic and their rotes um but they already have that so it's not going to hurt them but it hurts them in the sense of if i want to teach somebody else how to do it they also need the spirit sphere because i can't teach them how to do it without the spirit sphere oh yeah that makes sense uh and the example they give is like if if you wanted to change yourself uh into uh like a wolf uh a life mage can just do it without any spirit but a, a shaman paradigm would uh perhaps call upon the spirit of the wolf to aid him and then he wouldn't use uh wouldn't have to use life three or would he um any mage with life three can grow fangs but no so they're talking about this in the sense of um an addition so you you use spirit plus life in order to to gain the effect yeah, do they? Do they? I feel like there was an example where spirit kind of took the place of something else. Am I mistaken on that? Uh, you, I don't believe so. That not from what I read. It, it kind of talks about it in this. In I think there's like a little bit of a like. Here's the blurb on it. So a bit of spirit. Um, the example of the wolf changing shaman touches um, on an interesting question from an online mage form. Do you need to use Spirit Sphere if you're playing a character whose miracles come through her connection to spirits? Uh, the example in the form came from um, the animated series of the um, Avatar The Last Bender, or The Last Airbender. Um, and the question on whether a bender using forces and prime alone or whether the spiritual element of the bending of arts requires the Spirit Sphere as well. Um, as an optional rule, assume that mages whose reality-bending arts involve her connection to spiritual essence of the world, as a bender would in the Avatar series, needs to needs a spirit 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 level uh, 
or sorry, spirit sphere rank of two or better. In order, in addition to any other spheres she might employ. Um, and then it goes okay, a little yeah, you know, so deeper into that. It's basically saying it's basically saying if your paradigm is spirit based, spirit two can be added to a lot of your effects. Uh, as a way of making it part of your paradigm. Right, exactly. So this is one of those, you know, aspects of where the paradigm is going to heavily influence what sphere is required, but might might not change anything mechanically for you. You're just adding in yeah. the sphere of spirit which you already have because you're, you know, probably going if you're going to be like the, an avatar character, um, you know, a bender would I would guess would be somebody that would have spirit if not their primary rank would be equal to their primary or their primary sphere would be equal to their primary sphere if not you know maybe a little bit lower um but they're you know with your such a heavy influence on it you're obviously going to want to have that yeah i think it says later in that blurb that it's like but if you're doing spirit stuff you almost certainly have a spirit rank of two anyway so don't worry about it <laughs> Right, yeah. So it, it's one of those things like, so you say that you're really in touch with the spiritual stuff, you do all the spirit stuff, but you don't have any ranks in, in the, the spirit sphere? Um, explain that? <laughs> like, is yeah. that just made up in your mind? or? <laughs> um, so, um, I think that uh, some of the other things that are kind of interesting is um, the concept of like duplicating yourself. Um, so you've got, um, you know, what if I want to, what if, um, what if the clone duplicates the mage herself? Um, so assuming the clone was somehow imprinted with the original mage's personality and knowledge, typically through mind five magic, that clone would have the abilities that character possesses at the time of that imprinting process. Uh, even, even then though, there's probably going to be a period of adjustment while the clone's muscle memory catches up with her mental memories. After all, a football playing clone um, won't immediately adopt the original player's physical reflexes, even if she holds all the memories of the original player. Um, yeah, so I'm, I, I'm trying to remember uh, an example of when I duplicated myself in a mage game. Um, I want to say that one of my one of the other characters in the game do, did it through time magic. Um, there, it was it was actually a buddy of mine. He, he played a technocrat that was assigned to a tradition mage cabal. Uh, because he was on vacation, it whatever that guy did, it made no sense. But his name was Shotzi, and he had like by the end of the game, he had like time four or five. And at some point, it was just I don't know why the GM let him do this, but it was time effect. There's another Shotzi, and it basically turned into a joke where there was this bar in Milwaukee where the game was based that was just all Shotzis of different like. Like, you know, uh, what's that trope where it's like you take the characters and then you dress them up in every single different costume from history? Right, yeah. Like There's barbarian version. Um, now, those weren't technically duplicates. They were time 
Uh, mirrors. Right. The, time the artifact. Same thing that uh, Flash does. Yeah. Where he's but, just using, which is interesting because Flash uses in order to get the the time sphere. Uh, his it, it's all through forces with him because it's it has to be motion yeah. that he's he's doing in order to. Which is another paradigmal type thing that would be interesting. He, you know, Flash needs force sphere in order to use the time sphere. And and in, in that game where where he did that, we kind of waved it away because it didn't have uh, a story implication. Mm -hmm. We kind of waved away the paradox. Um, <sighs> but but in that game, I played uh, a life mage from Alaska, uh, a native. Uh, of the Yupik people, uh, which actually turned out to be uh, a very big deal in the the arc pl plot, uh, my backstory. Uh, but when I got life four and five, all of a sudden I was just doing whatever the fuck I wanted, like you know, just duplicates of me walking around in the it, just in in the lab. Uh, I was turning into trees constantly. I was turning into whatever. I think there was one time we were on a spaceship, and I was like, "Is there a?" Is there a gap underneath the door? And he was like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Well, I just turn into ooze and just go under and reform myself." And he's like, "Oh, yeah, five successes. That's pretty good." Yeah, it's it's um, you know one thing that's nice about Mage is depending on what's going on and how the story is being played out, um, you you can allow for your mages to do a bunch of crazy. You know, like you can have uh, the power scale slided towards not needing, you know, like doing that time thing and doing, creating duplicates of yourself. Because according to, you know, how do you do that? In order to create a clone, you need, you know, mind five. You need, you know, um, if you want to actually, like, control these clones and not have them be completely independent entities from you, you would need correspondence five, mind five, and life three in order to, you know, after their creation, you would have to use that in order to control them. Um, and you would need a, you know, looks like a generally at the cost of one success per additional self. And then I would guess that would also be a constant effect that you would have to have on you. So you'd have to put your successes towards, you know, how much time and, um, and if during that time you would have one effect going which if you're at two three, four six or eight or above you would get a plus one to your difficulty on magic rolls yeah uh, but i like I, how if, if you're doing it that you. way mm -hmm. if you're doing it that way i don't think you can make that permanent right um Even you in can do so what you're you only do, have one avatar you only have one avatar but you, you can't duplicate that well, so that's one thing that's interesting. They don't talk about that concept in here. Um, and it's one of those things that it's it's possible for your avatar possibly to be, you know, it's not necessarily something that's uh, a physical thing. So it's, you know, by rules of spirit, it's possible that it could be in multiple spots at one time, especially with correspondence as well. Um, but what you could do is, so you would want to do it as a time, um, so on the time chart. Um, so one success, um, let's see here. 
Wow, that is a lot of time. Uh, time sphere timelines affect time span. Uh, time span limits only apply uh, only to looking and reaching through time, not the duration of a given effect. Okay, what's the duration of a given effect? Duration is just how many successes you put into it, isn't it? Yeah, but what's the length of time per success? I'm trying to... They don't really go over that. And my guess is the reason why is that it's variable based upon what you're doing. And, you know, going to need a GM to specifically, you know, like one success per turn. Um, and then for this, I probably would do uh, maybe a success per day or per sex success per week that you can add on. So every success that you get or ex every success you put towards the timeline for a duplicate, you'd probably get one day worth per success, and then you'd have to repeat the process at the end of that. Yeah, I, I could see there being a lot of complications also with that, because like, in the same way that turning into a wolf, uh, like you need to spend willpower to remember that you're a human. Like, if you're two people, you might need, there might be some really significant like uh, uh, not drawbacks but like willpower or quintessence costs on like remembering that you're still one person <laughs> right uh, remembering where you are there's a little bit of talking about some of that stuff too and also if you uh, you get into a big you know brawl and you don't ha you know you don't have the ability to for whatever reason just completely instantly heal yourself without a problem but then you send your clone in that doesn't have that damage and it's like well how'd you get healed so quickly <laughs> well yeah that and that could make your your magical effect instantly vulgar right uh, which could cause paradox Yep, and that's and so that's some of the interesting stuff too that I was trying to think about too. Um, I was talking with, um, with Josh about this a while ago, Hockerman, and that this was a um, thing that he, uh, we were talking about. Like, if I do my magic inside of my sanctum in order to create all of these like contingency spells and um, you know my fireball uh, scroll of fireball or my you know missile launcher that shoots you know a fireball quote unquote um do when i use these in the um in re in a area where it is considered vulgar would would i then inherit the paradox from all of the roles that i had um they're all well i guess would i inherit the paradox then because the paradox comes from an effect not the amount of times that you roll um, yeah so if it's a level five forces effect and then i would get five paradox immediately if it's a vulgar but it would only you would only get that paradox once it's the magic is unleashed in that setting yeah i mean i would i would agree with that and that's that's what I kind of 
came up with, but you would still be able to, you know, do all of your rolls and all of your stuff inside of the Sanctum at that lower difficulty, where it's not vulgar. But when you activate it, you don't have to redo all those rolls at the new difficulty. You would just get the, you just inherit the paradox. Uh, I'm only going to disagree with one part of that. Uh, doing it anywhere, the the way you describe it, isn't necessarily vulgar higher difficulty elsewhere but the the fact is you're not you're you're basically storing an effect right so if you're as a, as a technocrat let's say you're gonna create something that shoots a fireball that is just it's a vulgar effect um to to uh the general public not to a technocrat because it's part of their paradigm and right, then you walk out it's vulgar but it's not vulgar inside of their com uh, their conclave. Like when they're inside of their own reality, um, that you know, pocket dimensions, the horizon realm, the umbra, and usually your your sanctum. It is not considered a vulgar effect inside of there. So my roles in when I create the the magic is going to be at the coincidental difficulty, not the vulgar difficulty. Mm. Uh, I'm going to have to read more about that because uh, I feel like if you're only doing magics to store an effect, I think you can do that anywhere, coincidentally. Oh, because it's not, there's no Because you're not effect. casting fireball. Yeah, you're not, there's no effect that's vulgar. Interesting. Because it's the effect that's vulgar, not the, not the will work. That's true. Um, I wonder then if you would just, hmm, I, because then I would almost be able to argue then that you would have to just consider it vulgar because your intent is a, a vulgar action. But the thing is, is, is your intent to do this inside of the Umbra or inside of the, you know, using this spell when it's activated. Um, so you can't yeah, so really I, I don't necessarily... Think Intent has nothing to do with it. It's like I said, you could you could sit in the middle of a, a mall full of sleepers and tinker on something and store a vulgar effect. That's and true. it's not like there should I mean, yeah, you you roll a botch on your arete while you're doing it to store the effect. That's paradox backlash, but that's not because it's vulgar. It's right. because you botched your roll. Hmm. Now, you turn on that thing and a friggin' hologram of uh, Optimus Prime shows up which is, you know a vulgar effect at this point in history uh, especially in the 90s that's when the witnesses cause a paradox backlash, or is that how that works? I don't know um, Well, you don't need witnesses for vulgar to be um, Yeah, vulgar. it's just paradox it It's just, yeah, there's a there's always a witness, you know, the quote-unquote um, uh the GM basically is witnessing everything that's happening, but whether or not it's a uh, witnesses are there to see it in, enhances the actual, like the real people or people that are not going to agree with that paradigm seeing that or um, yeah, that does, kind of stuff. So, so when you do that, does that does that just add paradox points to your wheel? Or... Yeah, it just adds paradox to your. You get automatic paradox, and then if botching, it gets you more um, 
with witnesses, it's double. So it's like with without witnesses, it's a uh, still a vulgar effect, and you get one paradox per dot that you or per uh, level or rank that you're using in a sphere. So if you have a level or if you have all of the spheres that you you're using all nine spheres at rank five, you would still just get five uh, <laughs> paradox. Um, if you had a witness there, you would get 10 paradox for doing that effect. Now, the thing that I, the problem that I have here, though, is that all of those rolls that you're doing up to that point are going to be at the lower non-vulgar difficulty. Um, and this is where I say that, you know, okay, so if I'm storing a, a thing to make an Optimus Prime robot, right, and I'm you know, working out in the middle of, uh, you know, a store or whatever out in front of my, my front yard where everybody can see me doing my work on this thing. My entire time that I'm working on it, I'm working on a vulgar, magical thing that's not in an area that's... My, my intended effect is, to, is going to be vulgar. So I would say all of those roles would be vulgar difficulties. I'm not sure if I remember any rules for difficulty based on vulgarity. Wow, uh, I'm, that's I'm a betting huge, it's like in the, huge part of the game. Actually, it's probably right in the beginning <laughs> of Mage Twenty, Chapter Ten. It's in like, every one difficulty. of the, the Mage books. It's it's not a new thing at all either. That's it. It's always been that the difficulty, the base difficulty, is based off of whether it's coincidental or vulgar, and what sphere level you're using. Okay. Because uh, vulgar is difficulty for... Uh, but and the thing is, we don't do a lot of vulgar stuff, and that's where a lot of this stuff doesn't come up. Or when I give you guys difficulties in my yeah, games, I... we just I throw you a difficulty because I have done the calculation. Yeah, I feel like that's the that's the change, is that in, in most of my experience with Mage, I'm not in a place where my magic is vulgar. Yeah, and I do kind of wonder. It, I do kind of wonder if, especially my uh, uh, GM for that game, Charles, like just kind of said, "Yeah, who cares about that?" Yeah, and I mean, it all comes down. And once again, Mage is a, a storytelling system more than a, uh, a rule lawyers, you know, kind of Dungeons and Dragons. Here's specifically how everything kind of works out, so that you can have a mechanically sound game to. I want you to just do stuff and I'm just going to have you roll stuff for it. It's a really laid back kind of system um, and you can make it as hardcore or as laid back as you really want. And from what I've seen, the better games that I've played in have all been more laid back with their rules on it. Um, you know, yeah. just well, the fun factor the, is more important than trying to yeah, out the, the types, The types of people that want to do the rules lawyering very quickly figure out that World of Darkness games are not good for that. There's a, there's a philosophical debate you can have with a lot of World of Darkness stuff. And some World of Darkness games have more solid rules. Like uh, Vampire and Werewolf are you know, pretty solid on their rule sets. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, stuff that just makes it really easy to kill people because of that <laughs> um and yeah 
Yeah, but no, nobody's ever going to have the D and D esque. Uh, oh wait, no. But I'm I'm within five feet, and that person is standing there, and they use their reaction, and like you have to list the things like it's a spreadsheet and a logic puzzle to say like, and that's why my number is at a plus two and not a plus one. Right. Which is not how this game works. This game is no, I can use time three for this effect because this is what my character believes and this is how the universe works in a fundamental way. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it, it mages one of those that is a really it's uh, rule lawyering is about more about philosophical debates than um, than anything else really, and that's and that's where I you know if if I had a character that came to me and said I want to make Optimus Prime in my front yard and I want it to be coincidental, I might just be like okay until that thing turns into Optimus Prime, but once it does, you're gonna get the the, the paradox for it if it turns into Optimus Prime in reality. It, it, just to make things simple and quick and easy. Um, now, if they came to me and said, "Do you think it would be par- or coincidental?" I would probably say, "No, I think that that's you probably are doing a vulgar thing right now. Go hide that in your garage, <laughs> do your work in there, and then it's not going to be vulgar." Yeah. But then, if they, you know, and, and you always work with your players, type stuff. Um, yeah there's there's a lot of really good stuff inside of how do you do that though that kind of breaks down um a more mechanical aspect of how to play the world of darkness uh or play mage and use magic um you know like they break down the elements for spheres like forces has fire wind electricity light darkness heat cold radiation and nuclear energies that it controls Life controls wood and other plants while they're alive. Matter controls earth, water, metal, glass, plastic, alloys, wood, and plant matter when dead. Air molecules when in a vacuum. Um, also requires prime two to conjure them with no air when no air is present. Um, but you know they kind of like break down a little bit more of what each kind of thing has, what the colors of magic are. Um, the one thing that I've always, you know, before we come to an end here, I think I uh, just want to kind of quickly go into um, tapping into quiescence in in a node. Um, and so yeah, I was reading a little bit about that. So there's game-wise a mage, um, so amount of quiescence used. Game-wise, a mage must have at least three dots in either prime or primal utility sphere, um, which is the technocratic one, if she wants to use more than her share of quiescence. Any mage with an avatar background can absorb that background's worth of quiescence from a node or task or use the points of quiescence in the quiescence wheel on her character sheet in order to use more points of quiescence than she has in her avatar background rating. However, and and in order to use quiescence from other sources, she must have at least rank three. Um, In prime, yeah. In prime. And... So... That tells me that 
in order to get above your avatar rating with quiescence, you're going to have to have... Um, yeah. Oh, you have to have Prime 3 in order to get above it. Above, which, right. Which and, previous to this, you were saying Prime 1. Right, because there is a statement inside of... So there's contradicting... This is what I always found was interesting, was there's contradicting statements here. And even inside of Mage 20, it also makes the same contradicting statement at one point. But there is a specific spot that blurps out about quiescence or quintessence and how it um, how it can be you can go above your rating with just one dot in prime and like I, I knew that like to draw to draw so and this is one of the things that it says here the backgrounds worth the quiescence from a node or task or use points of quintessence in the quintessence wheel in our character sheet. Um, so it, in order to, so it, you don't need any prime in order to absorb from a node up to your um, up to your avatar up rating, to yeah. your avatar rating. So anybody can meditate at a node, and without even one dot in prime. But then they're saying that in order to go above that, you need three. And then okay, so sphere. Okay, so let's see here. I think it's 507. Okay, so I found a thread somewhere that kind of goes through it. Uh, Prime 1 states that without it, a mage can't absorb quintessence beyond their avatar rating. Does that mean the previous limit is no longer relevant or something else? And somebody answers it with... Um... Mages without at least one dot and prime cannot absorb quintessence beyond their avatar background rating. A prime skilled mage, however, may do so. It's referencing page 520, which I think is the book that you're reading. 520. Uh, so yeah, 520 is at the beginning of study, a mage uh, allows the mage to perceive and channel um, quintessence from a node, task, wonder, and magical effects. She may spot... Um, Energe uh, energetic ebbs and flows and consents. Um, mages without at least one dot in prime cannot absorb quintessence beyond their avatar rating. A primed skilled mage, however, may do so. Yes, yeah, so that's page, and that's, yeah, 520. And I think there's another section where it talks about... Um, yeah. So if you have if you have prime out. one, you can basically go and and fill your pattern up with a little bit more quintessence. 
Uh, and they say that the uh, the drawbacks could be it might attract notice, even among sleepers. Um, and you're basically turning yourself into a quintessence battery. It might even be considered free or raw quintessence, easily drawn off in the same way as a node or task by friend or foe. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. Mm, yeah. So in the sense. same way that a node or a task is considered kind of free-floating, um, supercharging your your pattern with quintessence above your avatar rating is basically like turning yourself into a little node that uh, that other people could theoretically draw off of. Right, yeah, that makes uh, perfect sense. But there is another, but then there's stuff that, uh, such as here, where it says any mage with the, uh, or where it says here, let's see. Um, however, in order to use quintessence from other sources, she must have at least rank three in prime. Um, I think I think that might be for. Um, so that's the leech. Like, if you wanted to draw off of yeah. somebody else, like use yeah, them like, as a battery or task and stuff like that. But yeah, like in theory, I could go to anybody's house and just suck quintessence out of electricity or the patterns of things like i could just be like i'm gonna take this chair and use my avatar to break down every essence uh every psychic um every person's memory about it and i'm just gonna take that energy and i'm gonna turn it into quintessence for me hmm. which would be exceptionally vulgar uh, you might be able to do it with Prime 3 as a part of a spell, where in order to, uh, like, it's kind of like fast casting uh, quintessence absorption, but you immediately use it in the spell. Yeah, and so, and then there's another one at page 332. Um, they say channeling quintessence through avatar requires meditation at a node. Channeling more than your avatar rating through the node requires prime one. To absorb quintessence energy from materialized quintessence of task requires prime three. So I think that it's one of those distinctions of because. Wait, what was that last one about task? In order to draw it from TAS, um, you need Prime 3. That seems weird. And so the, it's one of those, this is where this one gets, like, it seems like it's all over in the rule book as to what kind of people were thinking when they were dealing these out here, because, you know, in, in the how do you do that book it seems to be pretty strong as to even to get it from a node you would need to have level three yeah and and it but it's and it says um prime one states you can perceive and channel quintessence from nodes slash tasks slash wonders so i don't know where that that level three restriction is from but uh uh for tasks because I like think if you go to level 3, I think it talks about it in level 3 specifically. Uh, maybe it's... 
was that specifically saying that you can't absorb tasks from or absorb quintessence from tasks into your own pattern without level three? Because maybe you can use tasks outside of yourself. That's an interesting, see, that's an interesting element that can be added into it. I think that that, I think that that's one of the missing kind of pieces is that you can use a wonder, wonder's uh, quiescence on a spell. You can use a wonder's yeah, with, with prime uh, one. Um, yeah, with prime one, you can, you can use a task and use up that task to cast a spell immediately with it. But if you want it integrated into your being, you need level three and um okay see see that actually uh makes me feel better because on on, on the last game of technogate uh when i was driving around in sosi and i used the battery pack from the the uh jet pack oh yeah and then the battery pack from the gun i was thinking to myself i think i might need prime three for this but no yeah, i'm considering you just it need two, or you just need one i think it's it's just prime one because i'm basically creating the channel in order to dump quintessence from one place to another and so um, i think that there's level three you can just start pulling quint uh, quintessence from a node um, and absorb it right into your body and just like grab it with successes um, but anybody or at level one you can sit there and meditate at that node to boost yourself up above like do the standard meditation stuff where you're not just pulling it directly out using magic you're doing a uh, base meditation roll to just pull it out I'm trying to come up with a weird metaphor for this it's like it's like anybody can you can buy a bunch of limes but you need to be able to carry them right and without, without uh, prime one it's like how do I carry all these limes yeah, and then without, well, and if you kind of look at it with Prime 1 versus Prime 3, is Prime 1 allows you to kind of, you know, as long as it's in drinking format already, you can just drink a whole bunch of it and it can fill you up. But if you want um, to, like, actually, you know, grab uh, Quintessence and kind of hold it inside of you, you need to have that level 3 to be able to hold on to a bunch of um, stuff outside of Yeah, I think uh, in some of the stuff I just read, it's um, it's a distinction between quintessence or task that's like under your power, like it's it's in your you have it, uh, but other people can just come and grab it, or if it's part of your pattern, uh, in which case I think you need prime five to suck that out of a mage's pattern. So yeah, anyways, um, I think that that's a, a good little overview on some more magic here. And, um, you know, there's lots more that we can continue talking about. Um, but uh, I think we're at a point where we can start wrapping it up here. Is there anything that you wanted to get in before we wrap up? Uh, before the show, I was talking about uh, how, like, the difference between how we learned this system. Uh, and I think you were mostly GMing and reading. Mm -hmm. And I was hanging out with Charles and my, my friends at the time, and we just played a lot of Mage and did did weird shit. And I was just thinking of a question that might be interesting, and it's 
What was something you tried to do early on in your mage gaming that, like, is just absolutely, absolutely outside the rules? And mine was, I think I was like a first, I was a mage, like base character. Uh, and I, I wanted to have an anime sword because it was like the early 2000s and we were all into anime and I was like, I want that anime sword that like when you swing it just cuts things that are like anywhere in front of it. And I was like trying to cut cars in half and shit. And if you understand the power level of a beginning character mage, you would know that that's impossible. Yeah, you'd be... You'd, I mean, it's not necessarily impossible to make that sword, but you'd have to spend a lot of time and effort making, putting a lot of successes into that, and you would have to have Forces 3, you know, maybe some Prime. Yeah, no, there was there was no way I had the, the dots and spheres to do any of the stuff that I wanted to do. But, uh, but that's how I learned, because people were like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, I would say... Um... I mean, because I GM'd mostly, and I don't... I'm trying to think if I've ever played in a mage game. I don't think I've ever played in a mage game. Or no, I did play in one... One person did a mage game that I did play in where it was a, uh, a Dark Tower, um, like, revision, basically, taking the Dark Tower from Stephen King's The Dark Tower and moving it into mage and combining the two worlds and having, like, we met Roland and stuff like that. Um... But, uh, um, I think a lot of, uh, the, I think my major thing though, that I kind of go to, that's kind of not really within the rules. Um, and I kind of bent things was probably the game that I ran for you and, um, and your group of friends that, uh, when I first met, ran that, uh, mage game, um, the time, time hopping the time hopping game the, where the, I, the chrono trigger game yeah basically it was like a re-imaging of chrono trigger and uh one of the things that I, I did find that does kind of correspond with and this is basically what i was using here was anchor points so i said that basically in the very beginning back in the days of atlantis or you know like before the great flood um you know mages had saw that there was magic was going to disappear so they were like well let's let's set an anchor point here in time and then we'll uh, move forward in time go check it out and figure out what's going to be happening and then once we figure out how to fix it we'll all come back and we'll <laughs> go back to the original anchor point and then we'll defeat this lavos creature once we figure out how to defeat it but we you know we have to let time move forward and so it created this ability for like you know, different points in time that were set down as anchors to allow for you guys to kind of jump back. But what, what ended up happening is that it ended up really kind of making it that you guys didn't really exist. <laughs> you know, in the, it, yeah. it, it was one of those, your entire game is basically a dream um, because of that kind of setup. Um, but I, my idea was is that you guys would be coming back to the very beginning and fighting Lavos, you know, instead of these guys coming back. Um, and that would make you guys real, but the world you lived in fake. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. Um, so I, and I think that that was one of the ones that 
the time that I took magic too far. <laughs> yeah, I I do have recollections of that game being uh, like not the game itself, but like the premise of it was like uh, time travel is kind of tricky. <laughs> time travel Never is out really quite like you think. really tricky. I'm not sure we ever finished that one. Uh, no, we got to Venice. You guys had gone to the point where you guys were had access to the Dark Age uh, era, and you guys were oh, running yeah. around in Venice. Good times. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I think that that will wrap it on up here for us. Uh, so anything to say before we wrap up? Oh, I should come up with a catchphrase. That's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> That's somebody else's. All right. Well, no. Uh, good night, everybody. Stay right. tuned on Twitch. Yeah, we We're will done. be here. Uh, for a little bit. All right, everyone. Have a good one. Thank you for watching.